Hello, and welcome back to a Brave Space podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow, and of course, I'm here with Dr. Catherine Meeks. Hello, Chelsea. Hey, Dr. Meeks. Good to be back. And I also have back with us for part two, Michelle Miller. Hey there, how are you? Doing so great. Thank you for coming back for part two because we still have so much more to talk about. In our last podcast episode, we were talking with Michelle Miller about her memoir, Belonging, A Daughter's Search for Identity Through Loss and Love. And this time we are back to continue the conversation. Uh, But one of the things that I want to highlight is that Dr. Meeks and Michelle Miller have a special connection. How did you all meet? Well, so I should start because I worked for Michelle's father, Dr. Ross Miller, when I was in college. And he had such an amazing impact upon my life because I was uh, 20 years old. I'd never worked in an office before. I'd never even seen a black doctor before. And I had a thyroid surgery that he did. And and when I went in for uh, follow-up, he's indicated that he needed to have somebody work as a receptionist because he and my brother were friends and he was asking my brother if he knew anybody and i said to myself that's a job i would like to have the only problem is i'd never worked in a doctor's office before and dr miller was willing to take a chance on me and hired me to work and i like to laugh about he put up with my bad typing because I was just learning, I wasn't a very good typist, but I did learn. I worked for him for eight years. And by the time I left, I was a pretty good typist and had just learned all kinds of things about running an office. But I learned so much about being um, conscious about the, the world and the politics in the world. And also just um, had a, gained a great sense of myself from having that job. So I will never ever forget him and always be grateful for the impact that he's had in my life. I would not be this person today that I am had I not worked for him. Mm. And I did not know Michelle when she was a little girl, but I knew her sisters and her sister. And I thought I had known her, but I got her mixed up. And so one of my friends reached out to her and told her about me and we got connected and it's been it has just been one of the most wonderful things that could have happened because as i read your book michelle so much of the many of the things that you described going on in your family was during the same time that i worked for dr miller and so i felt like i'm a like a a relative on the i kind of that was away and, and got a chance to come back and find out things about my family. Well, I tell you, uh, so so that is the pre-story, uh, the preamble to mm-hmm. our cute. And it really is also the genesis of this book because uh, back in 2020, about a week after the, the murder of George Floyd, um, I was asked by my producer to to, or assigned, I should say, to uh, deliver a story on all of my experiences in covering uh, community policing, uh, issues surrounding, um, you know, 
how people are unarmed, African-American men mostly are shot and killed in circumstances such as George Floyd. And I have been covering these stories all the way back to 1992 and the uh, aftermath of the um, of the Rodney King beating and the LA four being acquitted and the, the, the unrest that ensued as a result. And so I pulled my phone out and I started dictating this script and it was stream of conscious. I just, it just poured out of me. And when I delivered the script to the producer, he's like, wait, are you sure you want to say this? And I said, yep, I sure do. And when the piece aired, the the revelation that I gave was like a 15 second pause in the middle of a three minute piece where I described how racism had impacted me since the day I was born. Um, I was born into uh, born into the unrest of, of, of 1967. You know, I was the child. I was the um, essentially the love child between a father who adored me and a mother who to this day does not acknowledge my existence. And that those words just captured the attention, not only of Gail King, who came out of the piece in somewhat <laughs> shock of, of learning this about me, but also um, many other people who reached out to me after uh, the story aired, including a woman by the name of Lisa Sharkey, who was a publisher for HarperCollins, who said that that was an incredible story and you should write a book and I would love to to publish it for you. And so when the story aired, one of the people that I described who was also thrown aback was a woman who was a friend of Dr. Meek's. And she contacted me and she, I assume, contacted Dr. Meeks and put the two of us in touch. And uh, we have been uh, on the phone or, uh, you know, uh, via Zoom or finally in person uh, post-pandemic a few months ago when she came to New York and we met up for lunch. Yes, and it's such a wonderful such a wonderful meeting and I'm just so thankful that that we have had this opportunity because now I'm writing a memoir and Michelle's gonna uh, be in it and her father is gonna be dedicated to my parents and her father because that's the impact that he had upon my life and you know and and taught me a lot about being generous to young people and being a mentor just because of the way he mentored me. And it wasn't any big to do about it. It was just kind of really matter of fact, you know, it was just, this is, this is who we are and this is what we do. And I'm just, I will forever be grateful. And, and, and I see how he taught you those kinds of things too, Michelle. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I remember how he used to take special care of friends of mine, especially young African-American men, uh, young boys, actually, who I was in school with. One of them who actually, he is in the same profession, in the same city, in the same building for the same company that I'm in. His name is Otis Livingston. And he was one of my friends in in junior high school. And he was, um, 
you know, a, a child of a single mom. Um, and my father just was always very interested in making sure that, you know, he uh, knew how wonderful he was, smart he was, and wanted his, helped him with opportunities. And, and I just see it how he has soared and he now is the father of five kids and he's very involved in their lives and he's so proud of them and they're all very successful. But the impact that you can have just by caring, by paying attention, by, by just um, showing, showing interest is, is so incredible. Um, and I'm not saying that it was just my dad, but what I'm saying is that you children definitely remember um, people and two, they definitely, you never know how even a moment, a day, a week can impact you know, someone's life. And there were those people who were there for me in that way. And there, I've tried to be there for other people in that same way. Yes. And it comes across in very wonderful ways for which I am very grateful to encounter. And I know your dad's really proud of you. Thank you. And, you know, and the, the thing about it for me, Dr. Miller, I worked at, I, I was going to school at night because I had to work in the daytime. And Dr. Miller's working for Dr. Miller made it possible for me to go to school in the daytime because of the hours, because he was a general, he was a surgeon and I didn't have to be there all the time. And his saying to me, the most important thing here is for you to get your education. You know, how many employers say that to you? Yes. And, and so it's, it's a kind of, it's, it's, you know, that was 50 years ago and I, and it's like, it was just yesterday for me because that's how much it meant to me. So anyway, and then I was there, you know, I was there when he was the, um, the first doctor to attend to Senator Kennedy when he was shot. I was sitting at my little desk when Dr. King was shot and he walked to my desk and said, I think I'm going to go to Memphis to see if I can be of any help. And then the word came that Dr. King had died. You don't ever forget things like that. And they really impact you at, at a level that you can't even know uh, how it will impact you as you go through your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Michelle, what was your experience like just hearing what Dr. Meeks just said, you know, now that you're connecting some of the dots about what your father has done outside of the home, how has that changed your perspective or, or solidified it? Well, you know, I think... <laughs> The revelation that my father um, meant, um, well, that that my dad was a great mentor to other people has been a continuous uh, revelation throughout my life. And it comes, it's come, you know, in, I've seen it before my eyes and it happens you know, quite mysteriously. I'll, I'll be in a, a crowd of people, in fact, amazing people. There was a wonderful woman who was like a leading psychiatrist that I met when I was in New Orleans. And we had interacted many times before. She was was nice to be, but never really um, that engaging, I think, because she was somewhat shy in many respects. And someone mentioned my father in her presence. And she said, Dr. Ross Miller. And, and I said, 
Yes. Her name was Dr. Denise Shervington. I'll never forget it. And she said, oh my God. She's like, your father was a great mentor to women, a great mentor. He spoke up. I mean, she went into this story of, and she's West Indian. And she was talking about just how he opened doors in a way through the National Medical Association and other ways um, to to giving women a voice and, uh, you know, making sure they had opportunities in many respects. And I, 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 I was like blown away. Um, I don't know why, perhaps because before then, most of those people were young people. And so you hadn't seen the mm-hmm. impact until, and I looked at this woman, she's revered in New Orleans um, and she's revered nationwide. And to know that she gave my father some credit for giving her access to that opportunity, which allowed her to shine. It's those people we need to really herald, folks who open doors, those allies, whether they be men or you know, uh, people outside of the BIPOC community who really ally for for folks who uh, are marginalized and who are facing um, uh, uh, barriers to access. So I just I've, I'm I, I feel so proud, and I feel it's you know it's my duty to be part of that process of of, of door opening as well. Yes, and I, I and as well as me, you know, I really feel like that that's our responsibility, that we who have resources and have had wonderful opportunities need to take that on as part of who we are, that every at every turn, anybody that we can can help in any kind of way like that. And that's, Chelsea knows that about me after working with me for the last five and a half years. Because, and it's also a way to say thank you to the people who invested in, in me and in you and and when we were on our way, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, I have another question. You know, um, we hear about, Michelle, the role of your father in your life and in the lives of many others. But I want to get into the absence of your mother. How did that affect you for the good, um, for the bad, for the indifferent? What was that like? You know, I wrote belonging really as a love letter to those people like my father and my grandmother and my aunt and all the women who entered my life, who nurtured me to them. It is a love letter to them, but it is also an acknowledgement that acknowledgement matters. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, having a lack of acknowledgement, still being someone's secret is, is always bothered me. And uh, certainly that began with the absence of the mother. And so, you know, I people say, oh, that you did you want to seek your mother out? I I never felt the need to seek her out. Um, I always just felt it was important for me to fill the void of absence. When my father asked me to go find her, Perhaps that's when, you know, I took it in as what is this woman like? What what I allowed myself to, you know, gaze into the person that she might be. And when I met her, I, I was interesting because there was like there was a, an understanding based on what we talked about, and what we shared 
of why she couldn't stay. And I, I never had any bitterness on meeting her or any animosity toward her at all until 20 years later when, or actually it was really 10 years later after the birth of my son, when she, um, when she essentially refused to even acknowledge my son. And it was, it wasn't a refusal. It was a negligent, it, it, it was, it wasn't even a nod to the fact that he was born. I, I sent her um, a, 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 a notice and she didn't even acknowledge the notice. And I remember calling her once I moved, figuring that perhaps it was, you know, some letter was lost in the mail. And she said, oh, no, 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 I got it. And then she went on to to talk about her step-grandchild who, you know, she had just seen in New York and it was like all, and I just thought, what a miss, you know? And so I didn't talk to her for several more years. And then I realized that I really needed her to acknowledge me to the rest of her family um, in lieu of the fact that her mother and her father and her husband that she married some 10 years or so after I was born, um, that, that, that here, here, here would be a safer space, right? If there was, if, if, you know, she feared any kind of, um, uh, abandonment by her husband or, or shame from her parents that, you know, look, your siblings are people who have lived their lives and perhaps, um, can, can forgive you, uh, your children or your stepchildren, they too can forgive you. But yet she, without even batting an eye said, no, she wouldn't be able to do that. I, I would, I, I think that's when I got angry. And, um, and so the last 10 years of, of my life and the last chapters of belonging, really trying to come to terms with that anger and that, that, that longing for acknowledgement and acceptance that I won't get it. I probably won't ever get it from her. And this, this, this knowing of who you are, despite the acknowledgement. And I, you know, I kind of like broke that into sort of, I, 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 I made it, you know, into a macro instead of a micro. It's not just about me. I looked at it from the bigger picture of what that means and how there's like this crazy metaphorical um, exchange between, you know, my life and then this sort of, it, the the un the, the lack of acknowledgement for you know people who live in this country who oftentimes are marginalized so who are marginalized let's face it you know our history is um is is not uh, spoken about in ways that say Greek mythology and Roman mythology <laughs> and some you know other un you know untruths of, of, of like world history are taught. And uh, clearly our contribution in this country and all of its uh, many facets um, are, are not explored in many ways in, in many sectors of, of, of this beautiful country. I mean, there's, there's, 
there and we have to acknowledge ourselves. I mean, all of that to say we can't allow other people to write our history. We can't allow other people to portray us or to to um, to 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 tell our story. We have to tell our story ourselves, and we have to acknowledge who we are as a people, as a many faceted people. We are not monolithic, but yet there are many there are many many different stories that make up the fabric of the African-American experience that impacted the American experience. And so, you know, that's my story too. And I think perhaps that was, you know, one of the revelations in writing this is that understanding of those, that's why I tell stories about many marginalized communities um, because I think, I think they deserve acknowledgement. I, I think their contributions deserve acknowledgement. And I think their paths to solutions, to problems that we're facing deserve acknowledgement. So, you know, while I cover everybody, I make sure I cover, you know, communities of color and the BIPOC community and stories about women and stories about the LGBTQ community so that folks get an understanding that we are all in this together in a way, and we are all in it together in trying to make this world a better place. And that's what's so amazingly beautiful. That's one, not the only thing, but one of the things, your, your book that comes through in your book, as, as I was reading you continuously reaching out to your mother and thinking, how much um, willingness it took to be loving and kind to keep doing that. But then watching the way you live this out in the world, it, you know, you could, you could have gone down a whole lot of different roads with that, with that piece of your history. And for some people, it would make them not be a kind-hearted person who wants to be inclusive. It makes them think that, they just got to look out for themselves. You, you you know, you meet people like that. But that's so different for what you've done, Michelle, with a story that could have just made you a completely different person had you not had the loving people around you that you had. Your, and I knew your grandmother, Big Mama. I know what kind of wonderful woman she was. And your Aunt Edna and your cousin, the, the young Dr. Gardner. Yes. You know, all, all of these lovely, loving people. And you, you took that in and, and became who you are. And, you know, that, that is, um, that is a, a gift of grace and to your, and, and of something that is a gift. I mean, a, to you are to be credited for because you could have said no to it. And instead you said, yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. Yes. And thank you for your yes. Um, we are going to benefit from your yes and our listeners are benefiting from your yes. And so we just appreciate you for even coming here into this brave space, sharing your stories, giving us the importance of legacy, acknowledgement, finding um, your path, finding your identity, and being unapologetic about it. Thank you so much for listening. Listen, if you want to connect with us on social media, please do at Center for Racial Healing 
on Facebook, Instagram, and more. Or you can visit us on our website at www.centerforracialhealing.org. We hope to see you and hear from you next time. And until then, remember to always be brave and tell the truth. Bye-bye.